This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Read you one of my favorite stories about Maharaji. There's a man called Chandrasekhar Pandey, who was very worried about his wife. She'd been suffering for a fever, from a fever for a long time, and was so emaciated that she was close to death. He sent a telegram to his father-in-law, whose name was Motiram, in some distant town. The elderly Motiram, his wife's father, was very disturbed at this news, and he went to his guru, who was named Monibaba, a highly elevated holy man of the time and asked him, Oh Guru Dave, today I beg of you, please, somehow or other, restore life to my daughter, or end my life also. The Monibhava remained in a meditative pose for some time and then said, Only Baba Neem Karoli is capable of restoring life. You pray to him, to fulfill your wish. So Motiram meditated on Baba and prayed to him. Meanwhile, Baba, named Karoli, arrived at Pandey's house in this distant town of Jhansi. Right? You got the story so far? The husband called the wife's father, who was very old, went to his guru, he said, either cure my daughter or take my life also. His guru said, no, no, only Nimkaroli Baba can restore life. You pray to him. So he prayed to Maharaja. While this was happening, Maharaja arrived at the 
house of the sick woman. Knocked on the door, the husband opened the door and he said, How's your wife? The husband didn't know Baba and said, asked him who he was. And Baba said, Baba Nim Karoli. Husband said, she is lying dead inside. Maharaji said, will you show her to me? So the husband takes Maharaji inside. Maharaji looked at her dead body and said, she's not dead yet. You have some grapes in your house? Fetch them and bring a bowl and a spoon. Maharaji extracted some grape juice by pressing the grapes in his hand and poured that juice into her mouth. Her pulse began to beat, and in a few moments she opened her eyes. Baba said, give her grape juice and milk to drink. She'll be all right. Then he went away. Pandey's wife began to recuperate, and she regained her health without any treatment. <laughs> Here's the kicker. It turned out that Maharaji had visited Motiram's house. That's the husband, uh, the father of the woman who's sick. It turned out that Maharaji had visited Motiram's house when his daughter, Pandey's wife, was six years old. How many years before? Maybe 40 years before? Right? Someone had died in a neighbor's house, and since the child was seeing this for the first time, it shocked her tender heart. And she came to Maharaji. At the time, Maharaji said very lovingly, to her, ask whatever you want. Six-year-old girl. She said, Baba, when I die, bring me back to life. Baba was committed to his word, but said nothing at the time. But he kept his promise to that child. Forty years later, with no contact with the girl, or her family, or her father, he shows up at the door. I don't know about you, that story, this is the kind of being Maharaji was. He lived with this kind of compassion and with these kind of abilities as well. But all these abilities were in the service of us. These great beings are only here for us because we're idiots. <laughs> we don't know what's possible. They're here to help us. A promise to a six-year-old girl. He never forgot. He knew what would happen, and he was there. 
40 years later, or more. How can you explain that? How tender his heart is to be moved so much by one little girl's hurt. He used to say, a saint's heart is like butter, but it's not like butter. He said, butter melts when it's put on the fire, but a saint's heart melts when another's heart is put on the fire. Any questions about that? Anything to say about that? Do you believe it? It's true. <laughs> he was also a comedian. You know? was another little story. I was very happy that Baba had come to our house, but he turned his back to me and pretended to be asleep. So I said to him, Baba, you've come after a long time today, and now you're going to sleep without speaking to us? I don't like it. Baba said, switch off the light, I'm sleepy. The devotee in the room obeyed at once. It became dark and I felt gloomy in that darkness. I asked Baba to get the lights turned on. He said, light, turn on. And no sooner had he finished saying the words than the light was on. All the devotees in the room were amazed and they burst into laughter. Just then Baba said, light, turn off. The room was instantly plunged into darkness. And the joy vanished with the light. I asked him again to put the lights on. Baba ordered the light on, and once again there was light in the room, as well as the joy. This fun went on for some time. In the end, Baba said, even electricity follows my command, but not you people. Okay, so, I don't want to answer that. Uh, how about, please explain the red t-shirt, the red ring, and the red flat flannel. It's inexplicable. Uh, okay, the red t-shirt. Back in the old days in Kenchi, I was wearing whatever I wore. Sometimes we wore white clothes, or sometimes we wore yellow for Krishna and stuff like that. And uh, Maharaja was always teasing me about getting married. And uh, in those days, I was committed to uh, being celibate. Can you imagine? But anyway, everybody's crazy for a little while in their life. So I was committed to being celibate, and when I was with him in India for three years, I was celibate. I wasn't in any relationships or anything. But he was always teasing me about getting married. So uh, one day in the morning, one of the women in the group came over and sat down next to me, and she said, you know, if two people are supposed to be together, do you think Maharaja would put them together? I said, yeah, why not? So then she said, so why don't you ask Maharaji to marry us? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? And so later in the day, we were sitting around him. And uh, 
I'm sitting in front of him, like a couple of rows back, and he points. And I thought he was pointing to the guy next to me. And I said, him? Because sometimes he asked me to translate the little Hindi that I knew. Like, him? He said, nay, nay. Points. And there was a guy behind that guy. Him? Nay, nay. And I looked, and there was that girl. <laughs> so I realized, okay, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> so I said, oh, her? Yes. Do you want to marry her? No. He said, yes. Do you love her? And you know. I said, oh, yes, Maharaji. I love her so much as a sister. And he cracked up. Krishnadas is so cunning. But he didn't leave me alone. So he kept teasing me about getting married. And then, I don't know if you read my book, but there's a whole section there about an ex-girlfriend of mine in the States who, who died put me through a lot of stuff, the whole situation. So I was just coming, getting over a lot of the emotions of her dying. And uh, one day I went up to his window and he said, you are, you are Bajarambali. This is the form of Hanuman, thunderbolt body, fantastic warrior, indestructible, like a Vajra, you know? This is like, you're Bajarambali. What's your name? Krishnadas. Nay! Bhajanambali. What's your name? Krishnadas. Nay! Bhajanambali. See, to me, he was Bhajanambali, so there's no way I'm going to be Bhajanambali. So he, this went back and forth, right? And, he, and I said, okay, you want me to be Bhajanambali? No problem. But remember, Hanumanji is the eternal celibate. And he laughed so hard. He banged his hip. Okay, because you're Janaka. You'll have yoga and bhog. So, King Janaka was a famous Rajarishi in India, who was a king, but also an enlightened being. And he also happened to be Sita's father, Janaki's father, who I happen to be. Actually, that's the other thing. So, uh, he, said, and he said, okay, you'll, you'll have yoga, which is union with God, and bhoga, which is worldly enjoyments. But then he kept calling me Hanuman, so he told me one day I had to, change, had to dye everything I had red, even my underwear, had to be red. So that's where the red comes from. What was the next question? The red, the red t-shirt, the red ring. The ring, when I was recovering from hepatitis, I was still pretty sick, but I was living in the temple. And uh, he called me one day and he said, uh, go get a ring made. Uh, they, in India, they make these rings with uh, stones that touch the skin on the back. You see, it's open. And the stone, and they believe that this helps uh, astrologically and minerally and whatever. It helps you yeah, somehow. So he said, go get a ring made. So I, I borrowed some money from the Hanuman Fund, which is some people had money and they put it in a fund. And if he needed money, he took it, because nobody had money. So I took a couple hundred rupees and I went to town and I had a ring made. And I, uh, a few weeks later, I went and got it. And I put it on. I wore it for about a month. And then my mother came to India and was sitting in front of my heart. He says, give her the ring. <laughs> And 
I gave her the ring and she wore it until she died. And then after she died, I found it in her drawer and I put it back on. But he very particularly made a connection between the health of my physical body and the emotional connection with my mother. There was a very real connection there. Because we didn't have, at that time, we weren't having a lot of fun together, to put it mildly. And the red flannel shirt. Um, I don't like, he told me to wear red, right? So, but I don't like red shirts. They look too weird, you know, just like a whole red shirt. Looks like a something. So I saw her wearing flannel shirts. And they weren't always red. And I finally got around to wearing red flannel shirts. And that's it. It's no mystery. And then somebody said, didn't you ever think that that looks like Maharaja's blanket? And I swear to you, I never had that thought. If I had, I wouldn't have worn it. I wouldn't have been able to wear it. But that's the deal. It's even red on the inside. So <laughs> secret red. <laughs> Did Shamdas have a premonition he was going to die that day on the motorcycle and took his spiritual body to the next realm? Does a yogi know when they are going to leave their physical body in the case of accidental death? Um, do you all know Shamdas? Shamdas was a friend of ours. I met him in India in 1973. Uh, he met Maharaji very briefly, and then uh, Maharaji left the body. And Shamdas went back to India and wound up living in Vrindavan almost his whole life for 40 years. And he became uh, very involved in the uh, worship of Krishna and in all the different teachings about Krishna and the devotion to Radha Krishna. And uh, he spoke Hindi, Sanskrit, Vrajbasi. He was amazing. And he sang and he talked. And uh, he was a very, very close friend. And uh, he died a couple of weeks ago in a motorcycle accident in Goa. Uh, many of my friends were in Goa with him at that time, and I've spoken to a bunch of them, and nobody, uh, as far as we know, he had no premonition that he was going to die. And, uh, but a real yogi does know when they're going to leave the body, and true yogis can actually leave whenever they want. They don't have to hang around. They, they have the ability to drop the body whenever they need to, whenever they want to. But Shandas was, uh, he was a wonderful guy and a very deep practitioner of uh, devotion to Krishna, devotion to God. He did a lot of sadhana, a lot of worship, and a lot of practice. And, um, yeah. You never know. My question is how to surrender and accept when suffering is so much that I get angry and resentful at my guru and God for what feels like punishment or harsh treatment. First the love, then the real work begins. See, people use these words like guru and God like we actually know what we're talking about. I'm sorry, we don't. You know, we don't know what God is. 
we barely know what the word guru really means. So this person, how to surrender and accept when suffering is so much that I get angry and resentful? This is the work we have to do. What's the mystery? If you're angry and resentful, who are you angry and resentful? These are your own emotions. Sit down, work with them. Uh, your guru's not doing anything to you. If anything, your guru's giving you the strength to get through this nonsense without hurting yourself anymore. God doesn't punish us. We punish ourselves by our own choices and our own behavior. And by keeping on believing that we're limited beings and that we're no good and we don't deserve love. Where does God come into the picture? We don't know what God is, who God is. Is God some guy up in the sky throwing thunderbolts at us when we're bad little boys and girls? If he is, he's got bad aim. I would have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> So let's get over that Judeo-Christian bullshit. It's not what it is. It's not even what it is in their tradition, even, of really. We create our own nonsense with our own minds. And then we get mad at somebody else that we don't even know who we're mad at, because we can't accept the responsibility for our own actions. There's nobody to blame. We're good at blaming. We love to blame because then we don't have to do anything. All we can do is feel righteous. It's a waste of time. And you're not doing your work. Any reactions to that? Thank you. Come on, let's hear it. What do you really think, chickens? <laughs>